What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. What is crack-a-lacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you once again without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We do have our top 10 Charlotte Hornets player rankings for the past decade to go through with NBA Maths and Bleacher Reports' Adam Frommel. We'll speak with him in a minute. Uh, Just want to remind you, implore you, beg, plead with you to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. You can also get us wherever else you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Art19, all, all those good places, Google Play. We are everywhere. Subscribe, rate, review, download us wherever you're getting your podcast. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening. We appreciate seeing the numbers on the on the ratings go up. So So please make sure you do that. If you have done all that, Tell people about us. Retweet the promotions that we have up on Twitter. If you've enjoyed this series where we're rolling out our rankings, the top 10 players for every team over the past decade, please consider making sure that you're downloading the episode should you be streaming it on nbamath.com and subscribing to us, rating us. It really does help us out, and we appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can also follow us on YouTube, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. I have a playlist built that will have all of these rankings up as they they come out, so that should help you. Also, make sure that you're following the Blue Wire Podcast Network on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. Last, but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor. As always, betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE is going to get you a welcome bonus. So head over there and enter promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Before we do start talking with Adam, however, I did want to go through a a news update since it's been a while since we've talked about anything that's semi-current event related as we go through this historical project. Let's start with the coronavirus updates, of course. The NBA players who have been diagnosed with it apparently have recovered. We're talking about Christian Wood, Marcus Smart, both Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. I believe we don't know the names of the two Lakers players that were that tested positive, but they have since recovered. I do not believe that there's been an update on the Nets players, though I, I could be mistaken. We know that Kevin Durant was one of them and that there were three others, so that's something to consider there. Along those same lines, Brian Windhorst of ESPN.com reported that the Chinese government issued an order to delay the restart of the Chinese Basketball Association in addition to other group sporting events. This is, of course, a blow to anyone hoping to see sports again this year, this season for the NBA specifically. Everyone's sort of looking to China, who is dealing with a little bit of a second wave outbreak of coronavirus there. It seems they're sort of looking to them to be this figure of the future to see what we might be in store for us. Most people seem to be pessimistic about whether there'll be uh, an NBA season this year to be finished. The regular season kind of feels like it's almost out of the question. Maybe we can get um, some type of, of playoffs, an abbreviated postseason or something, but most people, the general feeling is uh, that this year is is not just at risk, that, it, that it's pretty much done. I 
do have that's sort of where I lean. It's where I've always lent, but I tend to be inherently pessimistic when it comes to these things. So there is still an element of waiting and, and seeing here because we know the league is going to draw out their final decision as, as long as possible. If they have to have the NBA finals in October or even November, depending on what's going on with the NFL regular season, I could see a scenario in which they're they're doing that. Of course, that brings up the question of how does that impact the offseason? Maybe you could still hold the draft virtually when you would have, but then how do you resume a season where there are technically rookies on your team, but they're, they're not a part of your roster at that point. There's, of course, the free agency process to consider. Again, we have to wait and, and see here. Uh, things certainly, you don't feel great about it. Also, uh, on a similar topic, we saw that uh, ESPN and ESPN2 broadcasted the NBA 2K tournament, which was light on trash talk, I'll say, from, from the moments I watched of it. Um, during night number one, anyway, I'm recording this on a Sunday, which will be the second night of of that tournament. I picked Michael Porter Jr. to win it all. So if you're listening to this after he beat or lost to Devin Booker, uh, I'm either going to be bragging and doing a victory lap or I'm going to be very wrong. But according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, the NBA and ESPN are working on televising uh, a horse competition that will involve several high-profile players. This, of course, cannot be done on location with the players together. And so you're limiting this to players with home gyms uh, or at least a setup where they have I guess a, a viable basketball hoop setup if it's strictly players with home gyms I'm talking about the LeBron Jameses this idea is classist and I will not stand for it unless of course Frankie Lakina has a home gym and is asked to partake in which case this is the best idea ever on, a, on an actual serious note people were making fun of this on Twitter and I can see why others want classic games to be shown maybe with players sort of narrating their their own performances from years past analyzing what they did uh, we're talking current players here even you know former players stuff like that can be interesting the nba and espn broadcast partners they're, they're trying to do something and i can at least appreciate that and so i, I think let people enjoy this if they want to see it because it does seem like it, it's going to happen make the jokes and i that's where people uh, i feel like have this misperception that that Twitter is for nuance. It can be when you're doing a thread, but you know, nuance to me is for podcasts. It's for articles. They're you know the persona you have on Twitter. Yes, there's a risk of people not taking you seriously. I myself have heard it a bunch of times that people are surprised at how nice I am when they talk to me because of I guess the the air that I give off on on Twitter with my terrible terrible jokes. And that's you know what that's fine. Uh, Twitter. If you're going to do a thread, it can be for nuance, but the jokes on Twitter are just that. They're jokes. If there are people that really want to enjoy this, I don't think that we should actually be demeaning them or even the NBA for attempting to try something. There are a lot more important things that that we can harp on that the league has gotten wrong. Moving on from this, though, the Chicago Bulls. It appears the Garpax era in Chicago is kind of, sort of, maybe over a little bit. We don't, we don't really know. According to Woj, the Bulls, and this is a direct quote, now have embarked on a formal search process to hire a new top executive with full authority on basketball decisions. We already know that Gar Foreman was put in sort of a, a reduced role, and it seems like John Paxson, uh, the vice president of basketball operations, is, is going to follow suit. Uh, among the candidates the Bulls are expected to interview, one of them is not Pacers GM uh, Chad Buchanan. He has removed his name from consideration. That's a big win for, for the Pacers, just anyone saying that they'd rather be with the Indiana than a, a more of a, I'll call it a hallmark f flagship franchise than Chicago. I think it says a lot about what Indiana has built there. Maybe also Buchanan just doesn't want to uproot his, his life, which is also perfectly fair. Other names that have been mentioned, uh, the Raptors GM Bobby Webster and Nuggets general manager Arturis Karner Karnishvas. I tried to I tried to look this up phonetically beforehand. It is Karnishovas. So those are the names that we have so far. The interviews are expected to begin next week per Woj. What I will say is that I remain skeptical of any organization that is making basketball operations overhauls, but then keeping many of the key figures from the current regime within the organization. Uh, point to the Knicks with Steve Mills still being employed by them. And so this is an excited time or time to be excited for Bulls fans, but you should also probably still be a little bit nervous. Jerry Reinsdorf is still there. And again, both Gar Foreman and John Paxson could still remain employed by the organization. You have to imagine at least one of them will continue to have the ear of, of people in charge and, and perhaps carry real weight. And, and that's always a danger given what they've done. The final news item 
we'll go over uh, is actually another rumor. According to CMB Sports Business's Jabari Young, DeMar DeRozan is not happy in San Antonio. Uh, and he sort of intimated that maybe DeMar would decline his player option ahead of free agency this year and enter the open market. I remain skeptical that this will actually happen. DeMar has a $27.7 million player option. I'm not trying to criticize the type of player he is. He's an awkward fit on a lot of teams, but he is still really good for what he can do as both a scorer and a playmaker out of the pick and roll. It's just that there has to be a very specific set of players around him. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the same as what Houston has done with Russell Westbrook surrounding him with four shooters, but it's the same idea because their styles are different. But I think that's where he needs to be. The Spurs certainly just don't have that optionality. Even having LaMarcus Aldridge take more threes, that that helps, but it can only do so much when you also have Derek White, DeJounte Murray there. You're not really stockpiled with shooters when you're looking at their roster and, and what they have over the longer term. Now, if DeMar DeRozan hits free agency, however, though, I struggle to find a team. And again, this isn't to necessarily criticize him, but I struggle to find a team that would offer him more than the mid-level exception, which is projected to come in around right now with a starting salary of $9.8-ish million. And that will come down if the salary cap projections come down because of uh, of the hiatus that the NBA is on right now, whatever you want to call it, the suspension of play. There aren't a ton of teams with cap space. Of the ones that do, you're looking at Charlotte, Detroit, New York, Atlanta, Miami. I don't think Miami would go after him. That's been sort of a popular or semi-popular offbeat scenario where could DeMar work in Miami? I, I don't think that makes any sense. Could you count on not so much Atlanta just because they have Trey Young already and they've invested in a lot of wings who can be secondary ball handlers? But Charlotte, Detroit, or New York, if one of them gets desperate for a name in free agency, maybe. And so you know if, if they're going to come in with three years, $60 million or, or something around there, it would make sense for him to opt out. There are a couple wild cards on the market. Phoenix can have cap space if it does a few things. Ditto for Dallas, depending on what happens with Tim Hardaway Jr.'s player option. He's not a fit on either of those squads. And so if he's looking at mid-level exception money, it would take him three years at that level to recoup the player option he'd lose. I just don't see it happening. Maybe he can opt out and then work work out a sign and trade with the Spurs to go to another team. I still just fail to see where the, the obvious fit is. And so my expectation would be that he opts in and then maybe the Spurs look to move him later. Perhaps they can send him to Orlando. That was a team that was rumored to be interested in him at the trade deadline. I don't know that they'd be interested in him for sign and trade money just because they have some really wonky long-term books there. But he's certainly someone to monitor. A big name, a quality offensive player. Again, though, just tough to, to fit in with certain team dynamics. And it seems like it takes a very specific supporting cast for uh, him to be at, at his peak. That's what we've really seen in, in San Antonio. They don't have the talent around him to maximize him. And there are a few teams that do. And even if they have the flexibility to do that, I still don't think he's someone that you build your team around. And so do you have a better number one option who also fits alongside DeRozan because he can play a ton off the ball and, and really spaces the floor for you? I, I I just don't know where that fit is. You can get at me on Twitter if, if you want to suggest a landing spot for DeRozan and we can talk it out. Aside from Orlando, which they don't have the personnel either, it just seems that they want anyone who can really create from scratch from the point of attack other than you know Vujovic in the post or what they're getting out of Markel Fultz this year. We don't know what the future is for Evan Fournier who has a a player option so if they're bringing all of those guys back you know let's say Evan Fournier doesn't opt out I don't know how good of a fit DeRozan is there maybe it helps having both him and and Fournier but but they have a ton of of non-shooters there already moving on though let's get to our decade all decade player rankings for the Charlotte Hornets we're going to be talking with NBA Matt's founder editor-in-chief Adam Frommel follow him on Twitter at Frommel09 and as ever also follow NBA Math at NBA underscore Math to participate in these composite rankings that we're compiling. They're a lot of fun, and based on the feedback we've been getting, you seem to enjoy them. So let's get let's get to it. March is over, Hardwood Knox listeners. It was the longest millennia of our lives. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas right to you with their online casino and blackjack tables. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather. 
Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Again, that's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Adam, how is it going? It's going pretty well. Um, I, I'm a little scared, though, just because we thought that the, uh, the the Brooklyn Nets podcast in this series was going to be rough. This one, this this one's going to be rougher. Uh, I I don't know that I'm like fully mentally prepared for this. This is not this is not a good quarantine mental health activity. Yes, I agree with you there. We're also both asshats for overplaying how tough Brooklyn was when we knew that we had Charlotte right on the horizon. It would have taken like one cursory glance to realize we could have just basked at least in the certainty of Brooklyn's top six. They at least had that. Charlotte, no such thing. Hey, hey, Charlotte has a top one. Let's let's give them some credit here. It wasn't consensus though, or universal, whatever you want to call. It. I'm just That's I'm true. An- I'm annoyed by that. But we did get one. We we actually got a little bit of a spoiler here, but we got two stray first place votes. One of which we deleted. Um, one went to one went to Michael Kidd Gilchrist, which we'll talk about later, and the other went to Chris Paul, and also had Tyson Chandler. I can't remember if it was second or third, but that was clearly a, a case of forgetting that the New Orleans Hornets are not the same as the Charlotte's Hornets. Uh, so we we deleted that one. Just. However, Chris Paul would be a worthwhile pick if it was the same franchise. So we give we give Brownie points for that. <laughs> Unless Tyson Chandler was put over Kemba in that exercise. because I think he was no third. I think he was third, if I remember correctly. But I'm still struggling with Chris Paul over Kemba Walker just because it was still only one season of Chris Paul in oh, this timeline yeah, before true. he went to the Clippers. So it was, it was interesting. It's inexcusable on a few fronts, but whatever. So let's get into this. Uh, we want to – we're going to – start with the composite rankings and then break ours down. Who came in? We had a three-way tie, I believe, correct? We did. We had a three-way tie for ninth place, which means that instead of only talking about 10 members of the Charlotte Hornets, we have to talk about 11. You're welcome. And- <laughs> this, is the, this is the content you guys are here for. And we're going to start with Bismack Biombo, who finished 11th in the fan vote. He did not appear in Dan's top 10, and I actually had him at 8th. Um, it, it, it makes sense that we get to start with an example of our favorite concept in this series, which is just pure thereness. Like Biombo never really developed into anything special. He was a palatable defender. He still is. He's a decent rebounder. He offers nothing on offense. I think there there are some examples of like how he spent the least amount of time uh, with the ball in his hands of any NBA player who plays big minutes. But to his credit, the Hornets have actually been 0.3 0.3 points per 100 possessions better with him on the court throughout his two tenures in Charlotte. So I'm giving him credit for thereness here, and I understand why you don't want to. It's also his comeback aroundness. He 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 came back. That's the only thing that matters. Doesn't matter. If there was be a not trade. voluntarily though. It was that, a trade. <laughs> it was one of the most or least noteworthy trades ever. <laughs> uh, he did have so right before there was that. 2016 cat boon he had the good 2015 2016 where no he still wasn't doing a ton on offense but it was like oh he can really like be this this rim roller and then orlando gave him four years and 64 million i believe it was and that contract good for him for getting his money i just want to make that clear whenever we criticize a contract yeah get get your money that ended up being one of the worst signings of that 2016 free agency which is saying something because 26 free agency was bonkers bad and in many ways. Uh, but I'm, I don't have anything to add there. It's just that he did have, I think what really swings it for him, if you want to put him in here or even put him higher, is not just his thereness or his comeback aroundness. It's the fact that he had that really standout 2014-2015 um, campaign. That's, oh, it was in Toronto. Excuse me. It was, I'm yeah. I'm throwing my timeline off here. Kudos to the Raptors. They just develop all these guys. I, I can't believe you didn't correct me while I was speaking on the term before. So I'm happy I didn't put him on my list for this reason, is, is I forgot that he spent that one year in Toronto where – it looked like he was going to be a solid rim roller. Still didn't have the volume, but you could count on him for all the things he did, plus um, as a screen and dive guy. I was just going to let you roll with it because I need all of the justification, whether legitimate or not, for having him not just in my top 10, but eighth. That's I'm like flabbergasted that I, I'm like remembering that season now. I think I even, I was one of the people that overrated him because I believe I did free agency rankings that year, but neither here there. I wonder if we're going to see that this offseason with guys like Fred Van Vliet where like Toronto's player development is just so good. Kind of like we saw, we've seen with like San Antonio in some ways where like, guys go to San Antonio they in the last decade they've played really well. 
then they go elsewhere and and they have trouble justifying the contracts just because the system isn't as good. I mean, does DeMar DeRozan count? And what, what's happened to Antonio? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not so much recently uh he would be interesting maybe like a chris boucher too is going to be there it's tough yeah, because yeah. not a lot of their develop i mean ronde hollis jefferson is a free agent as well and he's played good this year but fred van Fleet would be a perfect case study in that for sure who do we got next uh also tied at ninth we have gerald wallace who was 10th on the fan vote. He did not appear in my top 10. He was ninth in yours. I didn't have him there just because even though I think you can make a convincing argument that he's the second best player in the franchise's history, but his all-star season and most of his time uh, that was spent at a higher level came before our decade. He only spent 48 relevant games uh, before he uh, ended up in Portland midway through the 2010-11 season. So it was just, it was hard with only a 48 game sample size for me to put him in my top 10, even though I, I will definitely say that I gave him some consideration. I definitely cheated on some level. And I admitted to this before we started recording that, you know what? He made 2010 all defense, not the season we used as the cutoff, but still in the same decade. And so if I'm going to use projection for a guy like Trey Young for what he possibly could have done, not just for the rest of this year, but at the, you know, the first half of next season, that's part of how I justified it. The other thing was just a solid guy. And do you remember when he was traded to the Blazers? They actually got a pretty good haul for him. Not that they ended up keeping said haul, but the then Bobcats traded to the Blazers, uh, Gerald Wallace for Dante Cunningham, Sean Marks, Joe uh, Prisbilla, Cash, a 2011 first round pick that became Tobias Harris and a 2014 first round pick that became Shabazz Napier. That's a lot of value for forget about the players that were drafted, although Tobias Harris is is really good. That's a good haul for for Gerald Wallace. And he wasn't, you know, his he was never known as an offensive player, but his offense wasn't at the same level it was the year before when they actually flipped him in 2010, 2011. And so that can factor into leaving him off as well, just because he only it wasn't even that he spent just 2010, 2011 there. It was it was for only 48 games. Um but I again, I cheated, but then also looking at what he got them in that hall, you know, they capitalized on on his value. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna absolutely roll with it. And it's just it is wild. Again, not this decade, but it's just wild to remember that there was a season where he averaged over 19 points per game. That's just not a version of Gerald Wallace that I think a lot of people remember. I wish we did because he was so much fun. One a, a fantastic defender too. I just don't think he was ever really known for his offense, but he was a guy. No, who... it's just all transition offense, just the leak outs and the transition threat. Why don't you save that those takes for Gerald Henderson, who I know that you're going to eviscerate when he appears. Oh, we have more of that. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I'm also just impressed that we got a Vanilla Gorilla shout out on this podcast already. Vanilla Gorilla. I like it. I don't think I ever heard that nickname. Oh, really? I thought that was a pretty common one. Um, Is that your favorite NBA nickname? My favorite NBA nickname? No, definitely not. I think my favorite NBA nickname is the Dancing Bear for Yabuselli. I'm standing by that one. Not in the NBA anymore, but I love the Dancing Bear. Just throw it, if anyone cares. I'm going to have to think on on that and get back to you because it's an important question and I don't want to... That might be a good podcast. I don't want to devalue do it. It would be. It would be. Who do we have to finish out our three-way tie? Finishing out our three-way tie, we have a guy who was atrocious during his rookie season, was fantastic at the start of this currently suspended season, and then kind of forgot how to shoot midway through it. And that is Devontae Graham, who was ninth place from the fans. He barely missed it on mine, and he was in 10th on yours. Yeah, look, his rookie season was bad, but I have to wait what he did at the beginning of this year where he was hitting a ton of those off the dribble threes. And because you have the flexibility with a franchise like this to me, where you can go with small samples, I still actually believe what he does is really important because if you look at Terry Rozier's shooting splits, when Devonte Graham is yep. off the floor, yep. they are fucking awful. Like they are bad. And so he has that impact on a lot of the other players. I thought PJ Washington was one and I still watch in the Hornets. I will die on that hill the stats don't really back it up I do think it's a case of um, sample size bias there but I still think the threat of what he's supposed to do yes he sucks at finishing around the rim you're not going to have a good defense if he and Terry Rozier are your backcourt but he just alleviates a lot of the burden on everybody else pretty good playmaker particularly when you consider what he was last season and the start that he had to this year uh, though it lasted about a quarter of the season, when you look at the other options you had, and when you also consider the fact that he was in the running, not just for most improved player, but all-star buzz because it's the Eastern Conference, that was enough 
to sneak him in my top 10. I thought about some other players here, and we'll talk about them at the end of this podcast, but I, I'm, I'm comfortable putting Devontae Graham in the Hornets' as top 10. I think you should be. I had no expectations for him coming into this year, but it took all of like two games to totally buy in. I think what we saw during the first part of this season was legitimate and is what we're going to see from him going forward because you just, it takes five minutes to to watch him run pick and rolls and, and realize like what a great feel he has for the game. Like his passing is always precise. It's always under control. And yeah, his shooting splits are low, but he's also playing on a team pretty devoid of other offensive options and and he's asked to initiate so much while drawing the bulk of the defensive attention like I'm I'm still totally bought in on him and I would be shocked if he isn't on my top 10 Hornets of the 2020s uh, once we eventually get to that uh, I just I, I I value thereness too much and he hasn't been there what probably helps if you're at least allowing the small window of projection that we would have assuming there's basketball again in 2020 which not a guarantee, obviously. He's under contract for next year, so you can almost weight that into it. Um, I understand what you're saying, though, but it, it goes it goes both ways. And if this was a different franchise, there obviously might be some issues with viewing it that way. But because, as we've seen with the names that with the names we've already talked about, you do have that optionality here, and he right. certainly deserves it. What contract would you give Devontae Graham right now if everyone was a free agent? Uh, I'm like too embedded in what the actual cap scenarios is. So I'm looking at like, I wouldn't really give him more than the non-taxpayers mid-level because it's like, go get more than that. I guess there are some bad teams that'll have money that might consider it. But with the drop-off and his efficiency, if you went like, if you gave him the Kemba Walker special, four years and 48. Four and 48, yeah. I, I would probably feel not fully comfortable with that, but comfortable enough. Just because he's still... Even if he's never efficient, even if he never finishes around the rim, at, at least defenses still seem to care about the threat of his off-the-dribble three. That's the exact number I had in my head, but I wanted to make that fourth year one of the rarely used team options just because I, I don't think it's proven enough for me to feel confident giving a four-year deal, but I want to still because I, I do believe it. Right. If you can just be a primary ball handler, just just in a vacuum, you know, it doesn't have to be the cleanest in order to be the most efficient, but there's value in that itself. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. We are on to number eight. This makes it correct. Correct. So at number eight, we have Gerald Henderson, who was seventh on the fan vote. He was ninth on mine and he was seventh on yours. Um, Gerald Henderson, one of the, uh, one of the shooting guards who, who forgets that shooting is, is one of the words of his position. Well, from the outside, at least, right? He had no problem yes. about getting those transition buckets. Right. I mean, and that's pretty much all he did because it's it's kind of astounding that a shooting guard who has played since from 2009 through 2017 never took more than 2.4 threes per game, which was in his final season, and never shot better than 35.3% from three, which was also his final season, and did not happen in Charlotte. Um, he, he was a transition threat, and... I think that's it. He never developed into a playmaker. Um, he didn't really do anything off the dribble. I, 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 I don't have anything more to add on on his positives. I feel like Pete Gerald Henderson did a little bit off the dribble. Maybe a little bit. And I, I, I liked watching him because I, I enjoy the, the transition game and, and the slashers who, who enjoy crashing into the, into the paint while it's crowded and still making things happen. But like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling for, for more positives here. Speaking of someone who got theirs in 2016 free agency, when he signed with the Sixers, what was it, two years and $15 million at that point or something? That Sounds was just good. Right. That was good money for him at the time because I don't know who looked at um, – You're exactly right. Who looked at the year that he had in Portland and was like – I know the Sixers, it was kind of – their timeline was at least a little bit different then, but that was, that was certainly a contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who do we have at number seven? Because I have nothing to add to your Gerald Henderson takes. Just and his thereness matters, by the way, too. He was, oh, for sure. I think for sure. He was he was very there. Fourth in minutes for the Hornets uh, and sixth in games played. Yeah. So that that certainly matters as well. Shout out to Gerald Henderson. We don't mean to dump all over you. Adam does, but I don't. Oh, I do a little bit. You do a lot of it, from the sound of it. <sighs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. But at least we got through a player like relatively, relatively quickly before we were on this tangent. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's who, true. <laughs> who do we have at number seven? At number seven, we have a guy who sits 
two spots lower on the game's played rankings, and that is Jeremy Lamb. Uh, the fans had Jeremy Lamb at number eight. I had him up at number six. You had him up at number five. I'm intrigued by by why you had him so high, uh, and I, I'm I'm guessing that it, it it's just his final season and the growth that he showed throughout his time in Charlotte, which allowed him to uh, to get the deal that he did from the Indiana Pacers, where he's continued to be a pretty pretty solid offensive presence. It wasn't just his final season for me. Uh, there there was his uh, his second season there. I mean, you know, he was been a mid-range savant basically his entire time in Charlotte, but certainly those last two seasons. And I know that's not the shot that people want to hear about, but when you're not, when they're not assisted mid-range jumpers, they still have some value because you're creating your, your own looks there. And so he just shot absurd percentages, uh, you know, in those in-between areas while he was with the Hornets, at least during those uh, latter two seasons. And then certainly you have, you factor in that jump in his third year before, or excuse me, fourth mm-hmm. year. I forgot he spent four years there um, right before free agency was their second best player last year behind Kemba Walker. And there's just really no argument to the contrary to have that. And just someone who, yes, you kind of wish he would shoot better than 33, 34% from three. He did do that in 2017, 2018, hit 37% of his triples, but just to have someone who can get to his spots, make some looks, uh, I don't think I, I don't know who's how I would compare him to someone on defense. I don't view him as like this huge liability, and maybe I'm just colored by the time he spent with the Pacers this season because they seem to make any wing just into a solid defender. So perhaps that's a little bit too. But there are worst defenders uh, when you're looking at twos and threes. But specifically, what he did on offense. Uh, I think it was underrated and his finishing at the rim, it dropped off in his final season in Charlotte, but it was mostly consistent. You, you could count on him to be in like those high to mid sixties around the rim, which is good. And looking at the players they've had over this decade, I'm just surprised he finished this low. He spent four seasons there and two of them, I would say were clearly above average campaigns. Yeah. He's definitely in, in terms of our rankings, our composite rankings, he's very much in a three-person tier with the next two people who are tied at fifth. Um, it was very there was very little that distinguished those three players from each other. So I think you you can make a, a like like you had him in fifth, and I think there's a very reasonable argument for that, just given who the other two are, which we can move on to if you want. Oh, I would like to. Let's do it. So tied for number fifth. Tied for number fifth, tied for number five, either one, <laughs> whichever you want. English is less important these days while we we're stuck in our drunk. houses. I can confirm. We should be. Yes, maybe. I still, yeah, we, we need to do an intoxicated podcast at some point. I'm going to jot that down on the idea list. Okay, perfect. Right, that'll be the nickname, Paz. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally down for that. If, if I'm invited for that, oh, you'll be, we can, we can make that happen. Be you. And that'll be, I have not drank since October 2018. So that would be my first first sip of alcohol in that time yeah that's not going to go well for you then no i wouldn't but maybe it would make for good content yeah it could anything for the content so anyway (laughs) tied for tied for fifth um (laughs) we have uh we have michael kid gilchrist who was uh sixth place from the fans he was fourth for me and he was down at eight for 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 you that um i didn't talk about him when you specifically for this reason when you mentioned that i had him at number uh eight before how is he this high? There's not even like, I guess there's the Vernus, of course, that we talk about. I love that this has become a thing. And so he spends, you know, seven and a half seasons there. Uh, so, or is it eight and a half? He's been, first of all, he's been in the league forever. Um, so it's seven and a half, seven yeah. and a half. So, but what were like his really good years? He had 2014 to 2016, those two seasons where he wasn't like a complete liability on offense. And it sort of looked like he was, could be used as a small ball big um, at the start of James Rago's first season in Charlotte, but that never really panned out. wasn't really part of the rotation this year when he was healthy. So I'm, I'm I am a little shocked that that he was this high. I know he's a good at his peak was a quality defender, but he was such a non factor on. I think offense. he was better than quality during at his peak on defense. Like the, the switchability and the physicality, I think, did make him a, a significantly above average defender. I, but, but it is the thereness that, that pushes him up so high. I mean, second in games played, I think he's fourth in minutes played. And we can't forget that during that 2015-16 season, he did develop into a reliable floor spacer. I mean, how many people remember that he shot 42.9% from three that season? Oh, wait, it was, it was, it was on seven shots. <laughs> 
Um, look, I, so his defense was above average, but what I really always felt like he couldn't do was actually defend the bigger guys, like these bigger wings. And so he was locked down if you could put him on like smaller, weaker players. And Hornets fans can correct me because they will have watched way more Charlotte Hornets basketball over the past seven and a half years than I have. But I just never got that vibe from him. And so I don't want to say I thought he was overrated on defense because like you said, MKG in, in, do we say in his prime? That almost seems mean. He's, he's not even he did have a seven. We, we can say that. Okay. So, he's only- he's, he had really good hands though. I think that's the biggest thing. Like when you did put him on, on bigger players, like it, it was dangerous for them to put the ball on the floor. It was, it was harder for them to get into their post moves. Like maybe he could still get overpowered or scored on down low, but I think he made it tougher and was just a, more disruptive than you would see from a lot of guys his size. Maybe I'm just penalizing him too much because he's not Anthony Davis, and that's the player they missed. Oh, I thought he was going to be so good coming out of Kentucky, too. That's one of my biggest draft misfires. I was totally convinced that he should be the number two pick, that he was going to be a star. Just watching him at Kentucky, like the the defensive dominance and the transition dominance. I don't. It's been a while since we've seen a collegiate prospect who is that good finishing in transition. Yeah, and there was a point in his career, it felt like it dropped off, where he was a threat in the in on the break. And so perhaps that helps. And maybe I had him too low. It's just, I, I really only remember the the one season. Was it his third year? I should be looking at this. I think it was his third season where I remember he was good on offense. And then, of course, you mentioned the season uh, where he shot 42.9% on seven attempts. <laughs> Three of seven. Uh, he only played seven games that year, too. Uh, that's where his career high points per yeah. game come from, 12.7. And that's that's kind of the season where we thought he was going to be putting it together a little bit too. We saw some of the shooting improvements, and and shout out to to MKG for having some of the most horrific jump shooting form in NBA history. Like, I, I did he learn how to play basketball before ever watching anyone play basketball? Yeah, I don't, and it just it it. I actually have not seen him. He barely played this year, so I haven't seen him a bunch either. I don't understand like how your elbow ends up like above your head and out to the side when you're shooting a jumper, like your dominant elbow. I just I never understood like how it's like Jim Furyk, except it didn't work. It was like I don't even. It was like kind of if Kevin Martin was drunk while he was shooting, like a little bit. No, because you know what? The release point was higher than, than Kevin Martin's. That's a bad. That's a bad example. But if you look at it too, he like actually makes. With his elbows, like these two distinct L's when he's going up for it. Um, I, I yeah, I, I it defies explanation. But this is all coming from a place of love because I think we both liked MKG just for the energy. Speaking of nicknames, when you talk about simplicity and the the acronyms that work, MKG I've always liked. It's a solid one. Yeah, yeah. That might have been the nicest thing I said about him. Honestly. <laughs> Super good defender, though. And look, if you so while you were talking, I did Google uh, MKG jump shot for him just to look at it again. He's given us some good pictures. There are some pretty good shots <laughs> of him shooting. But you would never know that he was shooting, right? No, no. Well, I I don't even know what you could mistake it for, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so from from one player that we were not kind to to another, who I'm I'm sure we're gonna have nothing but good things to say about. Uh, also tied for fifth, we have Nicholas Batum, who was fifth from the fans, who was seventh from me, who was sixth from you. Also a member of this three-person tier. <sighs> what a disappointment, right? Like he was in, in Portland. He was this versatile, do everything wing, like a very modern player who managed to contribute in just about every area. And I guess he still managed to contribute in just about every area in Charlotte. It just they weren't good contributions. His first season there was really his, good. His first like two seasons there, but, but then the, the drop off came quickly. Yeah, and so I, his second season was actually probably better than his first too, in, individually. Just he apologized for it too earlier this year. I don't know if you saw that that he basically admitted he didn't live up to his contract, and I kind of respect that. I yeah, also, I do too. I also respect that he didn't become like a problem publicly or behind the scenes while he wasn't playing he very much understood the position or the direction that the Hornets were going. And, right. and I do like that about him. Is it weird? Look, here's what I like about him. Just if, if you had to pick an NBA player uh, during let's, if we went back a couple of years, who was most likely to log the five by five stat line. He would have been right on that list. Yeah. Been, who else would have been on there? Draymond green, maybe 2016 Draymond green. 
Oh, definitely. Uh, Draymond Green. People get mad because I pronounce his name like that. I don't know why I do it either. I guess you could always put LeBron in that, but Batum was always sort of right up there. And is it weird that I feel like he could still... I want him... I want him to get bought out from Charlotte or something because he's not declining his player option, $27.1 million for anyone who wants to rehash that five-year contract they gave him. Five-year, $120 million. And I'll admit that that was part of the reason I dropped him a little bit down in my rankings. I had him ahead of Jeremy Lamb at first, but ultimately dropped him down because when you sign that onerous of a contract, it's it's harder to build a quality team around, around him. And, and like it's not his fault for accepting the money for them thinking he was worth the money but like ultimately like if we're looking at the greatest Charlotte Hornets of the decade that that matters to me. No, I'm I'm 100% with you there and th- the fact that he kind of it's been like two seasons where or I would say three where yeah, 2017-2018 just massively disappointing. But then last year still getting playing time over 30 minutes a game uh appeared in 75 games just wouldn't shoot. He had there was a point uh, where he had he was averaging fewer shots per 36 minutes than Bismack Biombo, and that's just like the ultimate low point. So I, these past three seasons have just been been wildly disappointing on his right. Part. Like I, I think if you ch- if after his second season in Charlotte, you told us that he was going to average like ten five and five. That's that seems realistic, but like three point six, four point five, and three in twenty two games this year. The fifth year of that contract really kills him, and it's look that was the yeah. market in because because that was uh, the summer of twenty sixteen. It right? was it was another so one of those. The market would have given him a four year max somewhere else, but the, the the fifth year really, I mean, it kills Charlotte. It killed Charlotte's flexibility. Uh, so there's there's that, but you're you're actually right. And then again, just the level of disappointment this year, not so much because you sort of expected this to happen, but certainly the past two seasons where it's like, okay, there's no, after 2017, 2018, Nicholas Batum can't possibly get any worse. And then he right. did. Do you think, do you think if I, uh, if I talk about our fourth place guy for a little bit here, do you think you can find where we, one of us had him in free agency rankings for 2016? Uh, Nicholas Batum? Yes, I can. Yeah. So let's do that. So while Dan is looking that up, I will reveal that we had Al Jefferson at fourth in the composite rankings. And it's really the beginning of a new tier um, (laughs) that stops short of number one. No, I I think the next three players are all grouped together pretty closely. Um, They're they're definitely not separated by much in our composite rankings. Uh, Al Jefferson was actually second place for the fans. He was fifth place for me. He was fourth place for Dan. And I think that all of those are like fairly reasonable um, reasonable spots to have him. He, he only spent three years in Charlotte, didn't make any all-star teams or anything, but his first season especially, like he, he was very, very good. Still playing that, that old-school style, operating from the left block almost exclusively, but he averaged 21.8 points and 10.8 rebounds while shooting 50.9% during his first season in Charlotte. And given what we've seen from the players we've already talked about, like that one season alone, had he left to go elsewhere, would probably have been enough to get him in the top 10. And then combine that with his next two seasons where he was declining but still effective, especially on offense. I, I, I get the argument for having him as high as two. I totally understand that. And the, the teams with him, they had the – what was it? The one bad year? They won like 33 games or something. But the uh, the teams with him just seemed to work. That 2015-2016 Charlotte Hornets team, yes, in retrospect, they probably overachieved and it did lull them into reinvesting in that core, Nicholas Batum being one of them, that team was fun. That first round series against the Heat going to seven games, that was just a fun team. And I associate Al Jefferson with that. He was there. Kemba Walker was always their number one option, but they would really go to him in the post and they would rely on his playmaking or his ability just to like that combination of brute force and finesse that he could show down there. I absolutely, I did. I obviously did not have him too, as you mentioned, but I could see the case for putting him at two. Most and I think it, I think it's important that he was a central part of both Charlotte teams that made the playoffs in this last decade. Neither of them advanced out of the first round. They've missed the playoffs eight times. They've had some of the, the worst seasons in NBA history during this 10 year stretch, but yeah, they made the playoffs twice and, and he actually was the wind shares leader on the first of those two. To your Nicholas Batum request, we, you and I... It's going to be really high. It was published under my name, but you and I tagged team this. 
we ranked in the top 50 free agents of 2016, we ranked Nicholas Batum number six. Now, just to give you context on who was around him, number five in front of him was Andre Drummond. Number four was Hassan Whiteside, by the way. Oof. Uh, number seven was Mike Conley behind Ooh, Nicholas wow. Batum. Wow. Okay. We also had Dwayne Wade behind Nicholas Batum at that point. I would say. I think that's fair, though. That was probably fair at the point, but we we had Demar Rosen behind him as well. I mean, I, I think I think having Batum that high was was valid, though. Coming off the versatility he displayed, and we had no idea that injuries were going to affect him like this. Uh, also, Bradley Beal was number ten on this list. I'm going to close it because it's yeah, that's me. bad. Can you stop sharing those results? <laughs> it's going to make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> Younger Bradley Beal, there's no excuse for having him that low. Whew. So who was our actual number three for this exercise? Uh, our actual number three for this exercise was Cody Zeller, who was fourth for the fans, who was third for me, and who was actually second for you. So if you want to take this overarching explanation as the, the highest on Cody Zeller, feel free. I know that he's had some injury problems in recent years. Just a plus minus superhero and did a lot of things for them defensively, uh, as a as a rim rolling guy or a guy who's willing to set screens and do a lot of the dirty work as a as a defensive rebounder, his I feel like his offensive rebound has always been inconsistent, but it's also had more to do with the way that they they played. And you look at his offensive rebounding over the last three seasons, that's been uh, by and large very good. He is just solid fundamentally, and it it makes sense to me that the Hornets usually routinely have been so much better with him on the floor. And if you just look over this past decade, who was the more consistent contributor for longer for these Hornets than Kemba Walker? And I, I don't think you can come up with a name. Part of that is because there are players who just haven't been around as long as he right. had. He is now, is this his sixth, seventh season? He's in it to seventh, all of which have been spent with the Hornets. And so look, that's just going to bring up his thereness factor. I do think that a lot of people wished that you know, his range might have come along a little bit better, a little bit more quickly. He's averaging over uh, one three-point attempt per game this year, but only hitting them 24% of the time. And there's always been that level of mystery. Could he be a little bit more pick and pop? They've sort of let him dabble a little bit in those longer twos um, before the past two seasons as they kind of got those out of his game. There, there are disappointments offensively there, and he's not going to give you a ton, but just a solid fundamental guy. He's going to work really hard, set your screens, hit the glass hard. He's not going to get you killed. Uh, you know, as a, as a rim protector, look, it's fine if you want, like as, as your five guy, uh, but he's not going to be the anchor of a great defense, but he's also not going to be this huge liability if he's going to get, at least as of a couple years ago, you know, when you watch him play, when he gets pulled out of the paint. So I feel like he's probably one of the, just the careers and maybe it's the contract a little bit because the contract he's on now, I would say slightly overvalues him. It ended up being a four year, $56 million extension again, signed in 2016 when everyone's getting money. And so I could see the argument against, yeah, you don't want to pay uh, Cody Zeller, you know, these latter two years, especially uh, a combined $30 million, but probably looking at his career during this span, one of the NBA's more underrated players to me. That was a hell of a monologue. I'm impressed. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I have I have very little to add other than I'm sure that he is a fan favorite in Utah just because of the the screen assists. Yeah, he's 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 definitely one of those guys who who just always seems to do everything that doesn't show up in the box score. Um including getting hurt, which is probably the biggest negative and yet he's still sixth in minutes played. He's still fourth in games played um, over the last decade for Charlotte. So as you said, the fairness factor is definitely important here. But yeah, I mean, just a, a solid player who who might not have become what we thought he was going to early in his career. But it's hard to complain about the career trajectory he's had because he has been valuable for them. He's more like a, I guess the way to put it would be like middle class Stephen Adams with the hairline of a poor man, Stephen Adams. Hey, as someone with a a quickly receding headline due in large part to having a 15 month old child. I resent that a little bit. I mean, I don't have the greatest hairline either. So I'm, I'm not... still pretty jealous of it. I think you have more hair right now than I've seen in a long time. <laughs> but he was, that might be like the, because we look at Steven Adams as that star who did a lot of things that Cody Zeller does, but just at a star level. And he like, he has those floaters in his game has always been a better passer than Cody Zeller, but that might be someone 
I don't think their styles align perfectly because you can do pull-ups on Steven Adams' biceps and he plays like you can do pull-ups <laughs> on Steven Adams' biceps. But that would be sort of the the richer power parallel that I would make for, for Cody Zeller. Yeah, I think that's a fair one. Who do we have at number two? I feel like given the list so far, this has to be a no-brainer. Yeah, and I think it is a no-brainer. And I, I actually have a, an important question for you about Marvin Williams, who was uh, third from the fan vote, second uh, on mine, and third on yours. No, I so, do not think he had a better career than Chris Paul. <laughs> it's my, my question is actually like kind of similar. Uh, so he was the second pick in the 2005 NBA draft, which has been criticized a lot, especially because Chris Paul and Darren Williams came off the board right after him. Um, especially brutal for the Hawks. Um, but he's he's now spent 15 years in the NBA. He's been consistently impactful, maybe not as a star, but as a, a quality role player and probably never more so than in Charlotte, maybe in, maybe in Utah for a little bit. Uh, but has he justified being a number two pick at this point, just given the longevity? I would say no, because I don't think you use the number two pick in any draft and hope that and, 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 do it, but, do so uh, under the notion that he'll never even come close to being an all-star. Right. I guess like we've seen number two is where the most busts happen, right? We've seen that demonstrated throughout plenty of studies of, of successive draft picks and like, yeah, he was never a star. He never even came close to sniffing an all-star team, even in the Eastern conference, which he's played in for what, 13 of his 15 seasons. Um, but still like as, as a bust, He's he's played for 15 years at a, at a solid level. He's still an important part of a rotation, uh, less so now that he's in Milwaukee. Um, but even there, he's playing 18.5 minutes per game since he arrived. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure he's he's totally justified it. But like, if you told me that I was going to get 15 years from a player at a reasonable price point with reasonable production for so long at number two, like maybe you think about it just like from a cost benefit analysis perspective. He's definitely not a bust. Yeah. And that's probably the best way to put it. Like maybe it's semantics to say like he didn't justify it, but he's not a bust. But I think that's accurate. I I would like to see though, had he like played more five, uh, not even just earlier, but in general, it always seemed like Charlotte was a little bit reluctant to go to that with the exception of Mm -hmm. probably the past two seasons. And even then he was mostly a four. He could still defend fours too though. And that's the other thing. He's like an understated floor space and grim protector. That's like the best way to really put him. And he was one, we were, I believe he was a free agent in 2016 as well, who we were also super high on. So, and I think he's, he's kind of validated that just because the, the like you, like you described him, the floor spacing, rim protecting switchable defender. It's, it's what Atlanta wanted and he didn't really become that. I, I don't think he, he embraced the, the spaciness of his game until he left the Hawks. But imagine, imagine what he could have done on those Mike Budenholzer Hawks. Imagine what he could have could have been done on the Mike Budenholzer Bucks. I know he's technically on them right now, but yeah, that's just something to think about. I'm actually surprised. I thought I know we always overrate buyout candidates and their impact. He was someone I thought uh, who could wasn't, of course, but he was he was someone I thought who could actually be like that that midseason swing piece. Still, just really good, and that's an interesting discussion to have. If is he? Did he validate his number two status? I would say he's closer to yes than bust by a pretty mm-hmm. clear margin. That might be the best way to put it. Yeah, it seemed it seemed weird. At number two in my own rankings is where he was. Um, and it seemed kind of weird to put a guy there who spent five and a half years in Charlotte and averaged single-digit points. I mean, his now that he's on Milwaukee's roster, like his final numbers from Charlotte are 9.7 points, 5.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.7 blocks per game, shot 43.7% from the field, 37.8% from three, 81.9% from the free throw line. None of those are solid, or none of those are great. They're all solid. Like, And, and that's... That's who he was to me in Charlotte was just that guy who was just going to get stuff done. Didn't didn't need to run plays for him, uh, but he very consistently aided them. Who's number one? Uh, come on, it's Kemba Walker. Jeff Adrian? Yeah, oh, sorry. No. <laughs> Kem- Kemba was number one uh, for for composite for the fans for me for Dan. Um, he only was not number one on the one ballot that had Michael G- Kid Gilchrist in first place. Um, but he was number two there. And interestingly, like the rest of that ballot seemed pretty solid. Al Jefferson at three, Cody Zeller at four, Marvin Williams at five. They did have PJ Washington and Devonte Graham in, in the top 10. Um, 
which I think makes you pretty happy aside from the, the non Kemba in the top spot. But come on, like who else was it going to be here? There are, I'll bullet point this because these are the things that I respect most about Kemba Walker. He enters the NBA as a bucket getter and that's what he became to an extent. But if you look at the first four seasons of his career, not he was inefficient and it wasn't Mm -hmm. just, it was around the rim and everything. And then he, you know, by the time 2015, 2016 rolls around, he's not just a good three point shooter. He's a good three point shooter on super high volume. And that's something I always respected because that held. And I feel like you very rarely see that type of jump sustained when a player's already gone through four seasons. And this was a similar to what happened with Steph Curry's extension. When Kemba Walker signed his, I think there was more of the, I don't want to say angered reaction, but there was more of a question, oh, is, is he actually worth this? If you, if you at least looked at points per game, you probably would say, oh, that, that's fine. He turned into one of the best bargains in the NBA during that span. If, and there was a point where he was probably the best bargain, if only because uh, Stephen Curry's uh, contract right. ended sooner. So that's just absurd. Another thing. He has always been better on defense than people give him credit for. Not good, but when you look at his size, I would say six foot on a on a good day. The 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 effort he he has put into to fighting over screens, being in the right positions, I, I feel like that's gone overlooked. And given the burden that he's carried on offense, it did feel like he slipped a little bit last year, his final season in Charlotte. But when you look at the load that he's carried for most of his time in Charlotte. I I always feel like the defensive energy and effort he gave went underappreciated. And finally, he's clearly one of the NBA's best leaders. And it might be in a more sort of deferential uh, fashion because it doesn't seem like Mm. he's the most outspoken. But you hear these stories about how last year, uh, when I think the writing was probably on the wall for him, he's still talking and mentoring the young guys. They had a text message group. This is, I think it was per Rick Bonnell of the Charlotte Observer, called Kemba and the Avengers. And it was just him and the kids in a group chat. That's just, that's fucking fantastic. And you're seeing the effects that he has on Boston now. That's not part of this, but he comes in and he doesn't have a problem. Maybe it's in part because he spent so long being all everything in Charlotte, but he doesn't have a problem being uh, the number two to Jason Tatum. He doesn't have a problem uh, deferring to Jalen Brown on, on points as well. So there are just so many things that I appreciate Kemba Walker, the improvement, the leadership, and then just the effort that he's given on defense relative to, I think, his his reputation. I'm not saying that Kemba Walker is this really good defender, but those are things that really stand out to me when you look at his career. And then, of course, number four, his thereness. Right, right. And and to the thereness point, you know, 20,607 minutes in Charlotte. Second place is Marvin Williams at 11,615. Like, that alone probably pushes him into the number one spot. And I'm not going to lie, like Kemba is one of my all-time favorite players. Um, I totally fell in love with his game during, I think it was the, the 2011 Big East tournament, the one where he won like six games in six days, made the ridiculous step-back jumper over Stephen McGee from Pittsburgh. Like it was, it was hard not to love him then. I was all over him uh, coming into the draft, and it's been fun to like watch that love be validated over the years and it's it's almost unfathomable that a guy who was an inefficient jump shooter like the shot we associate most with him now is like coming around a screen and immediately pulling up for a three it's off the dribble like, threes too it's not yeah, even just it's like the, yeah. it's the off the dribble threes and it's like it's him it's damian lillard it's james harden the guys who will curl around that screen stop and and jump and take that contact right away and still make the shot like those are the three guys that i associate that with with that shot more than anyone else and for him to get to that point after being such a limited shooter throughout his rookie contract is amazing. Like it was his fourth season in the NBA where he shot 30.4% on threes. He shot 38.5% from the field. And now he's an, a remarkably efficient off the dribble scorer. It, it's, I think it's, it's one of the, the biggest testaments to, to hard work from a star we've seen within recent NBA history. And an offense unto himself. The Hornets, I don't like comparing specific lineups to just teams in general, but the Hornets offensive rating was top shelf in the NBA last year with Kemba Walker on the floor. I'm using last year because that team, if you look at his supporting cast, just didn't have it. So he can be that offense unto himself. And and that's huge. And he also has, you mentioned this with the, that shot. I remember the shot while he was at UConn as well. And this is coming from someone who wasn't really interested in college basketball ever. I do my draft cramming, you know, a couple months before the draft. I remember that shot. And it also just feels like the stats do not back this up. But when it's crunch time, 
that mid-range pull-up, it just still feels like it's money, especially when he's playing the Knicks for some reason. As someone who thought that Marcus Smart's clutch shooting percentages were very high, I would advise you to not look that up. I don't know what it is, but I just I don't want you to be as disappointed as I was, just in case. I tend not to wait too much into crunch time performances because <laughs> I, I don't so, really either. There's yeah. so much luck in there, which is why I don't normally look at st- stats for it. But he's the one where it's like by reputation or someone who has the clutch gene, like he's just one of those guys. I've always thought of the clutch gene more as maintaining performance than elevating performance. That's fair. Um, yeah, so I, I can see that. Who how, who else received votes? This is one of oh, my man. favorite parts. It's a, of the it's a long list, and it, it gets ugly. Um, but let's run through them. So uh, in the fan vote, we had tied for 11th were Dwight Howard and Bismack Biombo. Um, I guess actually before before we do this, if, if we want to backtrack, because I actually did have somebody on my list who wasn't in the top 10, and I am curious for your thoughts about them. Um, before we get to, to the uh, the fans' honorable mentions, and that was Josh McRoberts, who I put in my tenth spot, kind of because of the thereness, also because I think like his contributions were just a little bit underrated while he was in Charlotte. It was tough to to have him there over Devonte Graham and, and over Gerald Wallace, um, but I, I I don't think I regret it. Maybe just the time that he played, where was the floor spacing big man wasn't like what the like now where it's. That we're, not that they're not an asset, but if you were Josh McRoberts in today's NBA, it's just like, well, show me something else. Like you need to operate off the dribble or switch a ton defensively. But when you look at what the time he was in Charlotte, you know, the 20th, around 2013, uh, per, perhaps that's part of it. I mean, he played well enough in 2013, 2014 for the Miami Heat to overpay him in free agency. So. Right. And they were better with him on the court, which which definitely matters too, especially for the guys who, who are there for their thereness. <laughs> just not, I, I don't know, I guess because he only spent... A, you know, a partial season and then a full year there just didn't really do it for me. He did the the full season that he spent there. He did average over 30 minutes per game though. So it's not like you're dealing with a, a crazy small sample. And what people probably don't really uh, remember is that year he averaged over four assists per game. So there, he was definitely a better offensive player than he's remembered for. He's remembered for his offense, yep. but he's actually better than what people remember him for. You weren't going to get me to, uh, take off Gerald Wallace or Devontae Graham. And that's, uh, which that's, is totally fair. If anything, I probably could have thought about bumping MKG, but that would have been too cruel. Wow. Wow. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I wanted I wanted Josh McRoberts to get a little love before we, we went through all these honorable mentions, which we can do now. Um, so so tied, tied for 11th, we had Dwight Howard and Bismack Biombo, And feel free to, to interrupt and say something about any Why of these. Why is Dwight Howard there? His one season was pretty good. Yeah, but why is he ahead of both PJ Washington and Miles Bridges should be ahead of Dwight Howard? I I don't disagree with you. That is my take. That is gospel. That is what Dwight Howard did actually get a second place vote, which uh was it was surprising. It's good to know that Dwight Howard participated in this exercise. Then yeah, thank thank you, Dwight. I appreciate the humility of not putting yourself first. <laughs> was Kemba at least first in that in that ballot? We probably have no idea right now. Well, we do just because the only other one had um had mkg at number one so the dwight howard ballot oh i forgot about that one um no so this was one that i actually had to modify a little bit because they had uh they had kemba walker first dwight howard second dwight howard third dwight howard fourth dwight howard fifth dwight howard sixth all the way through 10th so i just removed the third through 10th because we are limited to one appearance per player it had to be just enough humility to put kemba walker in there (laughs) but then nobody else but yeah, like if if I had included all of those votes, uh, he would have risen up to ninth place. So we we dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah, so so moving on beyond Dwight Howard and Bismack Biombo tied at eleventh, we have DJ Augustine at thirteenth. We have Jeremy Lin at fourteenth. We have Stephen Jackson at fifteenth. We had Boris Diaw at sixteenth. We had Tony Parker at 17th. We had Josh McRoberts at 18th, which is sad because I think he he deserved to be higher. Uh, we had Frank Kaminsky at 19th. We had Emeka Okafor at 20th. We had Terry Rozier, Ramon Sessions, Byron Mullins, and Lance Stevenson grouped together in a tie for 21st. Uh, at, at 25th, we had a three-way tie between Ben Gordon, PJ Washington, and the one and only Sagana Jop. Nice. At, Proud of you. Thank you. I, I had to work on that pronunciation since it's been a while since we uh, since we heard his name. 
at at 28th, we had a two-way tie between DJ White and Marco Bellinelli, who I actually thought was going to show up a little higher since he did have like one pretty good season in Charlotte, which is more than we can say about some of these other guys who we've already named. Uh, at 30th, we had Derek Brown. 31st is a three-way tie between Corey Maggette, Jeff Adrian, and Miles Bridges. And at 34th, we have a three-way tie between Mo Williams, Malik Monk, and Gary Neal. Wow. I'm surprised Ramon Sessions didn't get a little bit more love. Maybe that's just like a... Anecdotally, maybe I'm overrating him there. Did any of the Martin brothers, Caleb or Cody, were they on there? Neither of the Martin brothers received any votes. I feel like Cody should have been on there, but whatever. He he could have been, but it's it's hard when it's a rookie during abbreviated season. Did Jeremy Lin get any love? Jeremy Lin did okay. get some love. He he was uh, tied for 14th. He appeared on on uh, a little under a quarter of the ballots that were submitted. Oh, all right, but never higher than a than fifth place. He had his his one year. He only spent one year in Charlotte. That definitely has to be part of it. His one year was pretty good, though. Yeah, he was on the 2015-2016 team. I'm actually surprised that he didn't get the. I know he didn't shoot great from three that year. But, you know, him and Kemba Walker worked offensively anyway together. Right. And so that, I'm a little bit surprised that he wasn't closer to, to 10. Yeah, I, I think DJ Augustine is the big one for me, where he was just like a He's steady offensive po- point guard. Naming all these second string point guards right now. Right, right. It's, it's dire straits here in, in, the, in the Charlotte Hornets podcast. Do you have anything else to add to this? Let's move on to Chicago. Yes, that'll be dropping shortly. They should be... They're going to be tougher, but they'll be more upbeat than this. I'm, I have not submitted my ballot for them, even though our, our voting is open for Chicago. And I'm I'm struggling with the order of my top three. Yes, yeah, so the Chicago voting is open. Everybody go to at NBA underscore math. Thank you all to, for listening to this. We've actually gotten some feedback, at least I have in the DMs, that you guys are enjoying these podcasts. So please tell tell your friends acquaintances, family members, everybody about it. We've had some fun doing them and the Chicago Bills Bulls will be up next. Until then, I leave everybody with a shout out to this is a tough one. I feel like I'm going to go with Sagana Jop. Shout out to him. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.